Welcome to Defenders TV Podcast, episode 38, about Jessica Jones, episode 8, a.k.a. WWJD. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast. This is episode 38 of our podcast. We're talking about Jessica Jones, episode 8, a.k.a. WWJD. I thought this was World War Jack Daniels, since there was lots of whiskey references. This was a massive, <laughs> massive bender, basically. <laughs> That's what I thought. But Chris corrected me. Well, I'm not going to say I corrected you. I'm going to point you in the right direction. Which is? What would Jessica do? There you go. So thank you very much for that, Chris. I'm Derek. I'm one of your hosts. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast. Hi, I'm John, one of your other hosts. And I'm Chris, rounding out the group. Yes. Delighted to have us all back for this episode. Uh, Yeah, good one this week. Really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really creepy. Really good. Um, Lots going on. Definitely. Um, Loving Kilgrave in this big time. Yeah, and I, I, I'm putting one out to the writers who will mention later. This one was a well-scripted, um, emotional turmoil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Emotionally turmoil. Over all the other episodes we've got so far, this is the one where I, I flip flop more than a flip flop in the beach. Ooh, interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look at that for a reference. <laughs> a little point of business before we kick off into this week's episode or into this week's discussion about episode eight. Uh, we mentioned on last week's episode about um, how our coverage will continue uh, for Jessica Jones uh, because of our next show that we'll be covering is Agent Carter coming out in January in uh, in the UK and Ireland as well as in the US. Um, it's been confirmed that the episode, according to geektown.co.uk, who release uh, when episodes of TV shows are going to be coming out, they've confirmed that the uh, that the premiere of season two of Agent Carter will air in the UK on January twenty fourth on Fox, um, which is about six days after it airs in the US. So we actually do have enough time, I think, to cover all of our episodes of Jessica Jones and continue to release them once a week on a Tuesday, uh, as we've been releasing our episodes so far. So that's good news. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we won't be giving Christmas presents of two episodes. Uh... Over the Christmas period now? It's a Christmas present to me because I don't have to edit two episodes a week now, which is good. Yeah, no, that, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> so thank you very much, Fox, for uh, for not bringing forward the release date of Agent Carter. I'm delighted about that. No, we like having you work. You're not getting Christmas off. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. In the spirit of Dickensian Christmas, you will work until your New bloody hands can work no longer. Well, I'm glad that Fox don't agree with you. So I'm delighted about that. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, make sure you get all of our episodes of Jessica Jones and obviously season two of Agent Carter and every other Marvel show that we'll be covering next year make sure you subscribe on itunes by going to defenderstvpodcast.com slash itunes or subscribe in any good podcast catcher for android like beyond pod podcast addicts and also in stitcher just search defenders tv podcast to find us absolutely uh, and if you want to share your thoughts on any of the episodes of jessica jones in this season season one or on our podcast the things that we discuss about then send in your feedback to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or of course you can Send in thoughts, comments, discuss things through our Facebook uh, group and page. And, of course, on Twitter. On Facebook, just search Defenders TV Podcast. And on Twitter, just go to at DefendersCast and get involved with everyone else who's chatting about this fantastic series so far. 
Absolutely. Uh, we have some poll results later on about who the best Marvel villain is so far, and we'll have some feedback uh, on our most recent episodes as well, uh, coming up after our discussion of episode eight of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. WWJD, or What Would Jessica Do? Uh, this episode was written by Scott Reynolds, uh, who has worked on Dexter. He did about nine episodes of Dexter. And one of the things we didn't talk about earlier on is that the showrunner of Iron Fist was announced this week, which was Scott Book, who also showrun for Dexter. So he may have worked with Scott Reynolds previously uh, in his role over there on, uh, on Dexter. Yeah, this is like fantastic news because not only did he do Dexter, but he also did one of my favorite shows, which was Six Feet Under. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, a really like important show for me. Um, I really loved all six seasons of that show. It was just great for me. Um, a very important se- series. A fabulous show. Absolutely yeah, yeah. fabulous show. So it basically means that Michael C. Hall, who is the main actor in both of those shows, Dexter and uh, Six Feet Under, is going to be playing Iron Fist, really, doesn't it? It can only lead to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Interesting. Or maybe a big bad. It'd be good to see him really bad. Because obviously Dexter, you empathise with him to an extent, uh-huh. you know, um, a... A serial killer with a social conscience, but like this would be great to see him all out evil with no consequences. Absolutely. Slightly like Kilgrave to an extent. Yeah. Uh, another show that we will obviously be covering uh, is Iron Fist in the future uh, on this show. But back to Jessica Jones. Uh, this particular episode again was directed by Simon Callan Jones. John, do you want to tell us what we got in this episode? Sure. After her unexpected release from the police precinct, Jessica experiences a strange homecoming, courtesy of Kilgrave, as she is made to spend time with him at her childhood home. Learning of his unusual and troubled childhood, Jessica looks to reverse Kilgrave's damaged personality, thinking that she might be able to mend him. She seeks the advice of Trish, who is concerned with not only Jessica's changed circumstances, but also Simpson's increasingly obsessive and secret behaviour towards Kilgrave. Elsewhere, matters of a broken heart reach a tipping point as Hogarth's messy divorce with her estranged wife plums a new depth as Hogarth gets desperate. However, as Jessica returns to help Kilgrave back at the house, Simpson, a bodyguard called Hank, and a nosy neighbour blow things wide open. <laughs> they certainly do. Uh, what an ending. What an episode. Really, really interesting one. As usual, I mentioned, if this is your first time joining us, the way we cover our episodes is that we take our top five, five points each, uh, discuss those top five points, and hopefully amongst those cover everything about the episode that we want to talk about. Uh, Chris, do you want to kick us off with your first point? Yeah. Um, so as I kind of briefly mentioned when we were just summing up our initial thoughts of the episode, um, I really wanted to give it out to Scott on this one. Um, he wrote a fantastic episode that really... I hate putting large blanketing themes to episodes, mm-hmm. but really this one I kind of got was all about consent, if you want to put it that, because a lot of the themes that came up, such as... and stuff we can discuss later, so I don't do it a bit where I give away the whole episode my first <laughs> point. Um, the biggest one being, kind of, for me, was just how... Everything revolved around consent. Mm-hmm. It was whether you had it, whether you didn't have it, whether Kilgrave gave it or didn't give it. And it was just, it was quite strange. I kind of everything, I, a lot of my notes kind of keep points back was like, oh, okay, that's another bit of talking about consent. That was another bit talking about consent. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was quite poignant. I kind of get the feeling I'm becoming a bit more literate as the, uh, the, the, the weeks go on because I'm finding these really high-arching story arcs 
and what the theme is. And I'm hoping Scott will go back and go, damn right, that was what I was aiming for. <laughs> he probably won't. Just was, fingers crossed. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I just want to see what you guys thought because it, it, it was, for me, very poignant in certain points where it kind of goes, yes, that that's literally what that the whole conversation was about. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of points in this episode, specifically between Jessica and Kilgrave, where he's pointing out the fact that he's allowing people to have... Uh, have control over what they're doing um, in front of Jessica. So he says he's hired Hank, the, bo- the bodyguard, and um, that he's he's paying the uh, the two workers in the house. He's paying them more money than would than they would have had in their previous jobs. So they're there almost by choice, kind of, sort of, <laughs> until some other consent issues that he has a little bit later yeah, on. Yeah, they're also his fail safe. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> big time. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that, and obviously the big discussion from the episode uh, about Jessica's um, attribution of what's happened to her to essentially calling out Kilgrave as being a rapist and a prolonged rapist uh, of her is obviously about taking the consent away from uh, from Jessica. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. That's one of the big themes in this episode. Oh, I think the biggest one for me was her choice to go back mm-hmm. when she's talking to Trish. And we'll again get into parts of that later, but that was just huge. It's like, what would you do? Yeah. What would Trish do? And I was like, oh, they use the episode name. Yes. Thing. Sorry. Yeah. Every now and again, once they use it, I'm like, I'm hoping for an episode during Luke Cage, his season, for a season called Sweet Christmas. <laughs> I'm just yeah. literally and be like, oh my God, they use the name. <laughs> Absolutely. No, we, we, have, we have noticed that all the episodes so far, and I don't know, I think we called it out last, last week, uh, that all the episodes so far have used the name title of the episode in uh, the episode itself. And this episode is no exception. Kilgrave does, uh, does ask, what would Jessica do? So yeah. Um, John, any points on, uh, on that uh, element about consent? Yeah. I mean, just again, that it's hugely important that, that's brought up because Alias deals with that as well. Mm-hmm. I think um, I love the fact that, you know, Jessica is saying almost it's not just sexual rape. It's just control as well. Mm. It, it's the whole baggage that comes uh, around with that about control, consent um, and, and just uh, abuse to an extent that you're controlling my mind. You're, you're forcing stuff onto me. You're forcing me to do stuff, not just sexually, but just in terms of living. And I think that's a really important uh, distinction that I kind of drew from that as well. Yeah. Um, and sort of just mirrored and reflected back on that is to an extent someone there um, in Kilgrave, considering that he's not done any of that. Absolutely. Um, and and just through not understanding what his actions are on another person's life and how that is destructive and controlling and abusive, he's going, you know, we went to five-star hotels, expensive meals out and all that, and, you know, she retorts and comes back to that point of, but I didn't want to do any of that. You didn't ask me what I wanted to do. Uh, and it's just that sort of ignorance of what he's done wrong in Kilgrave, which I think is another important thing in this um, episode to an extent that kind of gives you a bit, bit of strangely empathy with Kilgrave that he himself was abused um, and maybe doesn't necessarily understand uh, right from wrong because he never had any moral or, or value-laden compass uh, growing up. So, yeah, massive um, themes here. But actually, no, sorry, as we were talking there, it just came into me. Simpson. 
Mm-hmm. He ha- he's going against consent in this episode. He's well, in the last couple of episodes. He's going against Trish. Trish's yes. consent. He's not asking for consent to do all this stuff. That's very true. That's very and true. I think this is where they're showing while Kilgrave is taking away consent through powers, other people will do it just willy-nilly as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, this is a very strong... It's a very strong undertone that was there. Yeah, absolutely. There's the the point, you're absolutely right, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, um, where essentially Simpson was put in the back seat by Jessica because she was the leader of the of the attack to take out Kilgrave. And yeah, he's gone completely against their wishes. You're right. He, he was told he has to sit and, and take orders from them. He's now gone completely past that and is willing to take out Kilgrave um, purely on his own terms without anybody's mm. uh, permission. But it's even, you know, Jessica is doing it smartly. This episode, she's all about the smarts. You know, she's trying to record him um, in a confession situation. She obviously is then seeing that maybe she can do something uh, to help him by by just being there and showing him how to be good to an mm-hmm. extent. And then obviously then there's the, the double cross right at the end, the ruse that she kind of does, which obviously we're going to come to. Whereas... Simpson, by contrast, is all guns blazing. He is just all about the, you know, let's chuck a daisy cutter at Kilgrave and, um, like, wipe out this man. He's all about kill, destroy, um, without any thought of the collateral damage that might occur. Yeah, he Uh, just wants punishment, really, doesn't he? He really, really (laughs) does. um, Boom, clank. And the interesting thing with Kilgrave is that even when he thinks that he's not forcing someone like uh, Jessica, he's actually doing it by proxy, by by intimidating and threatening uh, the chef and the housekeeper uh, with the razor blades, for example. Um, so he just really doesn't understand it. He's kind of like blind uh, to this this whole idea of uh, people's free will to to do um things that they choose to do so Absolutely. it's really interesting like he has purple tinted glasses exactly <laughs> oh nice right. Chris. <laughs> um, yeah one of my points is actually about kilgrave um not not a huge amount of extra to add um but yeah i just like the idea that kilgrave brings in around the consent issue um the fact that he's just like, I suppose, almost like you would see in a in a rape case in a court where the guy doesn't agree that he has been a rapist. He's essentially saying, well, I, I wasn't because I, I took you to all the high class hotels, as you mentioned, John. I took you to all these places and Jessica saying to him, well, I didn't want any of that. And his his response to her is, but I never know if people are doing what they want to do or doing what I tell them. I never can tell the difference because I have to choose my words so carefully. And I think this was really interesting. And this is the start of possibly an understanding of Kilgrave, um, which I didn't expect to have at all throughout the series. I understood that he is a guy who's self-serving. I understand, I understand that he has these powers where he's able to get whatever he wants. But I didn't really understand that I would uh, I would start to agree with some of the concepts that he brings in, which is... Well, if you were to walk around every day and talk to people and they do everything that you want, how do you know when they're doing what they want and what you want them to do? I think it's really interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong. In Alias, Mm -hmm. they never officially come out and say that there was a rape. It's implied in a lot of the writing. Mm-hmm. But they don't actually say there was actual. They in, in, when I say rape, I'm referring to physical, which is implied. It's, it's actually full out stated in this episode, 
Whereas in Alias, I don't was it? I, I'm not. I, I can't, I'm trying to remember, and for me, it just seems it was always just implied in the background, mm-hmm. like the bit where she says, um, "How would you like it if you had to sleep at the foot of his bed and mm-hmm. bend at the knee to him all the time?" Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's not it's not explicitly said. I think they were still trying to pull their punches a little bit at the time when the comic book was written, but it is it's pretty clear you can read into it pretty easily that uh, essentially she's been made do whatever he wants for her dressing scantily, all that kind of stuff. So you, the, while there's no uh, sex as such shown in the comic book, uh, rape or otherwise, uh, it's pretty... Well, a little bit of sex actually shown in the comic yeah. book. But it's it's pretty deeply implied that what he's doing to her is rape uh, of all kinds, I oh, suppose. Is, I, is I, I agree with that. I just so, think they never officially come out and say it. Like, in comparison to this episode, mm-hmm. where she calls out both mental and physical... Yeah. Um, against consent, rape. But I, I suppose I, I take the point, but I do like that Kilgrave's answer to her is very much what some of the comic book readers might have been saying as well. It's, But I don't like the word rape. Um, don't use the word rape. That's not what it was. I was doing everything for you. We were in love, weren't we, kind of thing. Um, I love that they're having that discussion while she's calling it rape. She is the victim. She is absolutely has been raped. We know this because she's spent a year with him having sex with him and not and being under his power. Um, and he's calling out the fact that other people might not interpret it that way. And that's kind of what the comic was trying to do as well. It was trying to set up this idea that you can interpret it whatever way you want to. What Jessica feels is that she's been raped. Yeah, and yeah. it's Stockholm syndrome. Uh, like, it can and, be, I, yeah. and I think I agree with what you said where you called out whether Kilgrave says that, uh-huh. which is I, I don't... I don't know what, who does what or when. Is it because of me or my powers? Yeah, that would be pretty hard. And I think that, I, I don't know, this is just for me, it it was very, like, you come down on the, you either, I think you come down one side or the other, or yeah. you come down smack bang in the middle in terms of, am I leaning towards Kilgrave's kind of response in feeling some kind of feelings there? Or do I just agree with Jessica 100%? Mm-hmm. Or are you in the middle going, Oh wow! This is showing me two two sides to a coin, which is really difficult to view. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think this actually it comes to one of my first points, which is definitely, and um, it's kind of said it already about this empathizing or beginning to understand at least uh, Kilgrave's situation, and and to what extent maybe that changes how you're viewing him, and um, because I think not only is consent a huge thing here, but what's thrown up is redemption can someone be redeemed for their past actions and to what extent can you excuse someone for um doing stuff to other people that have been done to him because basically we get a little glimpse into the Kilgrave family life here we finally find out what the yellow usb stick has on it mm-hmm. and it's basically that to an extent he was abused as a child as well and um, he was forced into um these experiments by his parents. We we get the glimpse of that kind of CCTV footage of him doing puzzles all connected up through wires. And you actually see him finally realising the power that he has within him. You also, I hasten to add, see them doing a uh, a spinal tap mm-hmm. uh, on a child. Neck with, tap. Where, well, on the spine. Oh. Yeah. Um, doing that, I've had a spinal tap sedated... I'm woken up and the pain, you know, you can feel it. You can yeah. feel it. Yeah. I wouldn't even want to think 
what that is like um, with no sedation. And then he says, stop. Like, he's being forced there into a Step really away, painful yeah. procedure. Yeah. So he he's kind of been... so By his parents as well. Yeah, like, exactly. they're standing over him telling him to just lie there and take this, essentially. So he's yeah. been subjected to cruelty, at least, you know, and, and abuse here. And you do then start to think, well, can you empathize with him he obviously shows this to jessica on the usb stick quick question though i wonder whether there's any more after that he does talk about how his parents have run away or and left promising careers and so on Mm. but it's just the way he closed down the laptop i wondered whether it was about to show him saying now jab that in your eye and headbutt one another until you know the melons smash open or something right, yeah, you know? yeah. like did he really just kill them there like as a, a massive revenge step yeah because what he was saying like he's been on his own since 10 yeah so like it's just um you know, it's almost like a, a feral child he becomes after um, he realizes his powers. But does he kill his parents or have they actually maybe just run away and yeah. gone into hiding? Like, I'd love to maybe just see what the rest of that footage uh, shows. Uh, that well, would be really we interesting. Will. Maybe we well, will. hopefully, but that will be um, really interesting to see. But again, I just think... Um, you know, you also see him defending Jessica from the neighbor, uh, Elizabeth, the kind of the nosy neighbor. Yeah. So there's a few things that he does here, even just the fact that he says, I want you to decide and all that kind of talk that he goes uh, to Jessica with that, you know, you have to be the one ready to sort of um, give yourself to me that we live together. Yeah. Whilst it's still with um, a gun pointed at um, Laurent and uh, what's her name, Alva, there's still, you feel, is he on his way to redeeming himself or is he not? I mean, I don't think he is, but you could sense that there. Um, But, he, you know, he defends then Jessica, her honour or Mm. whatever against uh, Elizabeth, but... You would kind of expect that. So is he doing good or is he just, again, being selfish because Jessica is an extension of him in his eyes? So it's not really being um, altruistic or helpful or protective. It's being more, well, she's having a go at me by having a go at Jessica. And I don't like that. And I won't stand for that because it's Jessica that essentially tells him to let it go at the breakfast table outside with Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's a really interesting thing. This slow creep into uh, Kilgrave's backstory and yeah. trying to understand him. Well, I like in that scene particularly that Kilgrave is kind of showing off to Jessica, saying, "Aren't my powers quite interesting?" Sometimes, essentially, and Jessica has to begrudgingly admit that using the powers on somebody that's lying to you uh, could be pretty useful for you uh, and one other thing i wanted to call out as well you mentioned about uh, about kilgrave turning on his parents uh, this really reminded me of something from the x-men um that that essentially under great duress when his parents are holding him down taking this spinal fluid from his back at that point the power comes out it seems like it's the first time um that it, definitely that it's called on camera that he says to his parents step back and they do and start going what are we doing what how did that happen does he have control over us kind of thing yeah. it really reminded me of the, of the kind of a, a power of a mutant which they can't talk about obviously on this side of the marvel house but it really reminded me of those kinds definitely. of definitely now that you say that yeah i definitely get a sense of uh mutants here yeah no i completely agree but uh 
larger question. Is that actually his parents? Interesting. Yeah, interesting question. Yeah, maybe. For um, sure. So, because it was like Project... In this, the, the camera, it was like Project 322756. Mm. So what happened to the other 32,000 well, projects? Um, is he born this way or mm-hmm. is this through experimentation? So then this does lead into something that I'm curious about more about the kind of children being experimented on in the Marvel Universe. Mm. There is a lot of them and I'm pretty sure there's some here and there. Two that spring to mind. Um, which was then uh, Black Widow. Um, so, uh, and we know that's in the cinematic universe. Yes. So, and that was in Civil War, I believe. It was a little bit in Civil War, but it was in Agent Carter as well, yes. where they talked about Dottie being experimented on as a young girl in Russia. And that's the creation of the project that led to Natasha Romanoff, uh, the Black Widow, essentially. This was the whole team of Black Widows were taken from their families as children and trained to fight against each other uh, and kill each other, essentially, as trained assassins. So potentially this is what Kilgrave's possible parents, I'm doing like yeah. air quotes, um, potentially that that's, they're involved in the same kind of project. Yeah, and Interesting. I, th- I think you definitely have to take what Kilgrave is saying with a large pinch of salt. Mm-hmm. So, again... It'd be really interesting to see that extra footage, maybe in um, yeah. in that laptop on that USB key. You know, does it pan back with guards coming in, and it's actually a completely separate facility? Yeah, maybe in Russia. Maybe. Yeah, the two people were English as well. They were. Yeah, that's true. I don't think it's Project Rebirth. Uh, obviously, that's United States mm-hmm. funded, and then obviously the Romanovs. That's Soviet Russia. So could this be the British version? Yeah, it's all the axes of power had some, <laughs> some, <laughs> at some, some point. Type of, some time of experiments on children or on young people to try and get them as superpowered nations. Interesting. I do want to give a quick pause here to give a shout out to David Wang. Right back to our discussion of the trailer for uh, for Jessica Jones, where he pointed out that um, this person that was on screen in uh, on October 31st, 1985, is a young Kilgrave, and that we were going to say a bit of the Kilgrave backstory. So well done, David, for for catching that in the original trailer. We definitely wouldn't have noticed at the time, or even thought that it could have been. Uh, so good catch there. Uh, yeah, no, definitely, and it, I I didn't even catch that in my own head. The larger curiosity I have here is there are two characters that have always been hinted at that may be brought into the MCU, mm-hmm. which is Cloak and Dagger. Oh yes, yeah. So there is a story there comic book story is that they were experimented on um, as well. Not in the same way. Uh, I believe it was some kind of drug, which is heroin and crack dealer and stuff. Could this be an MCU spin on it? Mm. Which is um, the heroin that they're attempting, which and that could be a possible link to Mother Crane and Daredevil. Oh, yes, because they, they were making heroin in, in Daredevil. They certainly they? Yeah. were. Yeah. yeah, shipping it in. The blind yeah. drug dealers or the blind... Um drug mules and stuff yeah yeah so could this be again there's a, a large web connecting daredevil to iron fist to jessica jones Ooh. to kilgrave the birth of kilgrave that would be awesome that would be very it would be it would be and literally all we see in the corner as you said imagine do we see more of the video it pans back and in the back is the still serpent yeah uh kind of motif right. in one of the corners and they're experimenting on to create Cloak and Dagger as well or something yeah. like that. Very interesting. Very interesting. No, 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 really. uh, before we move on, mm-hmm. I, this was one of my points about Kevin. Kevin Kilgrave. Uh-huh. We do love our alliteration in yes, Marvel. Yes, we need to talk about Kevin, definitely. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I think the empathy part was really where I got it. I 
throughout this episode starting more and more empathizing with a character who up until for the last seven hours has been distasteful, Mm -hmm. vile, you shuddered at some of the things he's done, you just feel revolted and repulsed. And yet now we're starting to learn why the way he is the way he is and how sometimes he uses his powers the neighbor situation mm-hmm. is the best example. And I actually was going, I'm empathizing with him. I'm I'm starting to feel like he's a human person and not just a stereotypical bad guy in the corner. Mm. We're seeing the reverse Wilson Fisk from Daredevil. In Daredevil, we saw Wilson Fisk become Kingpin. Mm-hmm. And we saw the backstory of how, why he became the way he is. Now we see, we've been introduced to Kilgrave and we're seeing the reverse in that now we're starting to see why Kevin is the way he is and now we, how he became Kilgrave. Interesting. And now yeah. we're getting, so we've literally gone the other way. So where we, we really loved Kingpin up and well, we all, we love Kingpin, but or Wilson, we loved him all the way up. And then when he became Kingpin, he became a bit stereotypical. Mm. Now we started with a stereotypical vile person and now we're revealing layer by layer and you're going, Oh, interesting. Absolutely, but and I still think there's the question of can we still believe him, or are we being manipulated by him through through the script? I wonder because that's the same. I have the same. I had kind of similar point about the empathy there, and you really do start to go. Oh, well, he was abused. You know, he's sticking up for Jessica and all those points. Absolutely, but is he doing that for show? Um, you know, he's saying Hank, the bodyguard, is actually paid. You know, I'm not controlling him. He even talks about um, how you don't appreciate how like difficult this power is because I have to be really careful about what I say to people. And I mean, one of those things is just that, you know, does he mean that? And that's the whole thing that's still there at the back of my mind is does he mean that? And I think then as well, coupled to that, you have this arc of Jessica considering seriously or at least we're being led to believe again uh, from her actions about maybe helping him to redeem himself Mm -hmm. to become good um, and so on but I think as well just if I can include one of my uh, other points here is that the flag for me even though I found the third uh, sub point I suppose that I'm going to talk about here now uh, I found it actually quite amusing i thought it was quite funny um all the way through this you have how he treats laurent and alva mm-hmm. to realize that he's still pretty pretty obnoxious but um i must say i really felt for poor laurent the chef and alva the the housekeeper i mean we have the close shave where <sighs> there you know razor blades at the neck oh yeah um you have Essentially, the flayed man and woman where he says, you know, if not back in two hours, you start peeling one another's face, the skin off one another's faces, or you're like, oh my goodness, okay, you know, Ramsey Bolton has got nothing on this guy. (laughs) And then finally, and this is the thing that made me chuckle, just the fact that they were on the sofa looking out the windows and they were being told not to blink um, (laughs) and until Jessica returns. And I mean, 
the poor faces on them. I mean, poor Alva just looked like she had this smile, but it was a smile of absolute pain and agony, and she couldn't, like... Rel- the relief when yeah. Jessica arrived. Yeah. It was just this idea of being told not to blink. I can't even imagine that, actually. Absolutely, and guess what we have here, if you haven't noticed, and I think some of our Whovian fans might have noticed it, the Doctor is telling two characters not to blink, just like he did. (laughs) Just like he did with the angels, yeah, in uh, in Doctor Who. So, uh, nice little trait there. So the Doctor tells you not to blink. Once again, this could be the Doctor. Um, He tells you not to blink, just like he did. the evil Doctor theory. Yeah, it's quite an interesting one. But I must say, another another quick shout-out for someone behind the scenes of Jessica Jones, the casting director or the casting person behind bringing in the the actress who played Alva. Wow, I felt so sorry for her from the second she walked on screen. She's not even she's not even the one that gives the explanation that she's happy with the job because she gets doubled her pay and was fired from her previous job for drinking. She gets nothing here. She gets to stand in the background and look terrified at every single moment she's in Kilgrave's presence. She's fantastic. Yeah. She gets hardly any lines at all. But I think, as you say, that moment of relief when Jessica arrives back in the taxi, it's, oh my God, she's here, she's here, I can blink. And then she rubs her eyes. It's fantastic. But really good job by the casting director. Absolutely. And I think one of the other things, just really great line coming from Kilgrave uh, relating to the conversation that you know Laurent has been paid double what he was paid previously from a job that he was fired uh, because of an alcohol problem obviously that kind of resonates with Jessica and Kilgrave goes you see some people give others a second chance and like <laughs> it's just is a real neat little bit of uh, dialogue which I, I loved um, but I must say I really liked Alva and Laurent in, in this I thought they were a great little foil um, to show just really still how twisted he is mm-hmm. um, you know he will do anything for Jessica but put on his own and in fairness he says it himself he may not act good yeah, like Jessica would want uh, him to do. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Just taking a little bit of Chris's point and a little bit of yours, John, onto my next point. Do I empathise with Kilgrave here? Um, I really think Scott Reynolds has done a great job of writing this because what we saw in Daredevil, and I love the episode, don't get me wrong, but what we saw in Daredevil was a flashback to Wilson Fisk as a child killing his father um, because he felt he had to because his father was abusive. Uh, and that's the point we empathised with Wilson Fisk. Yeah, yep. that's the moment when we realize you must empathize with this character. What I love that Scott Reynolds did in this episode is before we get to see any of the flashbacks to Kevin as a child and what happened to him, we have the scene with Jessica saying, you're a rapist. You raped me. And he blames his parents for it. He says he has he came from a house that had no love in it when you were uh, when you were playing ball in your front garden with your with your parents, uh, I was being tested on and experimented on by my parents. And Jessica calls him out immediately. She says, you're, you're saying you rape people because you didn't come from a loving home. My parents are dead. You don't see me raping anybody. So I like how it's written because it is essentially saying to you, don't fall for his charms. Don't fall for his excuses and reasons behind what he did. He's got a power and he's using it for evil. Um, whereas we see from Wilson Fisk that he grew up in a bad environment and took his opportunity and then turned into a person who will take every opportunity. Here we just see Kilgrave as a person who will be very vindictive about it. One of the points in the episode, other than this, which I really liked, um, is essentially, uh, you mentioned a couple of times Elizabeth Del Luca, the neighbor who comes over. Um, 
really sh- another show of Kilgrave and what he's really capable of. She comes over, she tells Jessica that she always knew something bad was going to happen to her parents. Kilgrave turns it on her, t- ma- makes her tell the truth, essentially exposing the fact that she wants to feel power over Jessica still. Uh, it makes her feel powerful, makes her feel needed and be- better as a person. And how does he punish her for this? Yeah, so the big punishment for Elizabeth is that she carries a bomb which blows her to pieces. She is sent in as a suicide bomber by Kilgrave for essentially embarrassing Jessica in front of him, which I think once again shows you the kind of person Kilgrave is. He's not hes not just telling her to go home and shut up and never tell that story again. He tells her to carry a bomb to kill Simpson later on in the episode. Kilgrave is still deplorable to me by the end of this episode, even though he may have given some explanations to Jessica. Exactly. And a great job by Scott Reynolds on doing this. Exactly. But it is also that point that you would bring up in any kind of judicial system Mm -hmm. of can someone who is bad be redeemed? And if so, should society let them? And I think that was one of the other big elements of this episode, which is what this is feeding into. And you're quite rightly, you know, He's still being deplorable, but there are reasons for that. Does that allow you to empathize? Does that allow you to at least understand? Does that allow you to say, well, maybe we can feel something for him to, um, to try and, um, make him a better person to understand that what he's doing is deplorable? And we see that through the lens of Jessica. Yeah. And it's about this idea of, people being given a second chance and whether they should be or or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect in this case it will be, no, we shouldn't. However, I think that's the theme, and I think that's the theme Absolutely. of prison, jail, um, a court system. And I think that's as much plays into the issue of consent, rape, and abuse as well. Yeah. When do you stop, in a legal sense, allowing people to play out their sentence, but maybe be released back into society to live a normal life if they've been rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. I do love that we get presented with his version of events, his justification for what he does, and Jessica's reaction to it as well. It's not in in a vacuum, so it's not the kind of conversation we had when we when we all sat down to discuss the um the Wilson Fisk episode of of Daredevil uh, at that point it was very much oh okay well that's why he's the way he is because of how his father treated him as a child and then he grew up in a different environment and continued on that way with Kilgrave I love that they've presented both arguments at the same time so you can kind of choose your side almost absolutely like Civil War. or is he just a <laughs> sociopath or a psychopath yeah. that you know but a larger question okay so mm-hmm. if we're led to believe that he at the age of 10 in 1985 Develops his powers, kills his parents, and disappears. Mm. He's a 10-year-old with superpowers to control anyone, no guidance. Mm -hmm. So we know he's 40 in this. Mm -hmm. But then that's 30 years of walking the streets of the world with no boundaries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No boundaries, no, no one telling you what to do. If someone tells you what to do, you tell them what to do. And they do it. You don't have to do it. Like, this is, like, Never Neverland, Peter Pan, like, the child who always stayed young, the, 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 the bad boy who acts out. So, I'm actually starting to, that's the way I think, yes, you said, it's a civil war, it's like, which side are you on? Mm-hmm. Team, team Kilgrave good, to, or empathy, or, no, he's still deplorable. 
I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think that's where I am as well. I, I'm going, I can see the badness, I can see the goodness. I can see the bad and I can see the good. Mm-hmm. He, this character, the empathy is more coming from perhaps because he had no structure, no guidance, which Jessica offers. Mm-hmm. She shows him the power of perhaps being good. And you see the euphoriaism that comes out when he, in after saving a family, mm. and he's like, look at how great that feels. Mm-hmm. Like, that is perhaps something you are meant to consider. Like, that is something Scott and Simon was like, could we put, even if it's not 100% true, and there is all this thing where we're getting played as an audience. Yeah. Is that even something that you are able to feel? And then that shouldn't be the way you feel. Like, that is where it comes down to Scott and Simon saying, doing something fantastic, where I came away after... Seven hours of hating this character, mm-hmm. not hating the character portrayal or anything, but hating the the the, the Kilgrave, Kilgrave, yeah. yeah, like thinking how despicable he is. Going, oh, okay, I, I kind of think I empathize and get where he's coming from and why he is the way he is. Mm-hmm. Not saying the acts he could have done are are uh, can be written off because mm-hmm. he still blows someone up at the end. Yep, he still raped people Mm -hmm. he still did many other do not blink for the next two hours that's probably worse than killing someone absolutely I I think it I think it raises a question and it's to purposefully to mirror um, Jessica's story of of rape and abuse that someone else who is raped and abused and goes on to do bad stuff can they ever be rehabilitated is it a system that we live in that uh, you are given time to rehabilitate uh, and are allowed to then, um, once you've been determined, you know, from professionals that you are no longer a risk to society, you know, can Kilgrave ever be that? I still think he's got a long way to go, mm-hmm. definitely. But these are the interesting questions that this throws up is that, you know, he's still blowing people up at the end. He's treating Laurent and Alva really badly. Um, but you've, He's been contextualized a bit, but it's through his lens. So we're still to determine whether maybe he's actually telling the truth or Mm -hmm. he is actually a psychopath that needs to be behind bars for the rest of his life. Absolutely. And after listening to all of the podcast serial this week, which is about this kind of topic, I'd love to see all three of us on a jury at some point. (laughs) Because I don't know how how we would be able to convict someone like Kilgrave or not with some of the evidence that's been presented. But I'm going to jump straight into my next point because there is this whole episode is a two-hander with Jessica and... Uh, and Kilgrave, really, it's all yeah. about their story. And I'm really calling this this scene, this sec- section of the of the episode, the Marvel team up. Uh, a huge um, fixture of Marvel comics for years was the team up between sometimes a villain and a hero. Um, and what we get in this episode is Kilgrave and Jessica teaming up for one purpose, which is to free the hostages. But <laughs> I'm coming at it from a slightly different perspective than I think you guys might be coming at it from. Uh, did you notice throughout the episode? the hostage situation is being shown on televisions in the home of Kilgrave and Jessica. I think Kilgrave set the whole thing up, right? This is a husband of a family of three kids, I think, two kids and, a, and his wife, who uh, are sitting three in kids, Three kids, is it? She's the same four people. That's right. So uh, so you have the wife. Oh, no. I was going consider the husband. Yeah. So it's possibly, uh, possibly. Two, two kids and a wife, and definitely himself anyway. But 
I think the whole point is Jessica wakes up in the morning and this new story is on screen about a husband taking his wife and kids hostage. That's a very Kilgrave suggestion to have happened, that he's been told to take his family hostage. They're crying, don't understand why he's done this. The police are all around. He knows that Jessica's going to react to this, seeing it on television, and know that his power could be used to save them. I think this might have been a twist by Kilgrave to try and get Jessica to team up with him and show her what she could do if she chose to live with him. Yeah? Because he seems pretty convinced that she's going to choose him. Knowing what they've done, knowing what he's done to her over the previous year, she's, he still seems pretty convinced about what what choice she's going to make. Even though he does know that she doesn't love him, he knows that she's been treated really badly by him, so why would she choose to come back to him? But if he, if he creates this unmissable chance to... Uh, to to have a hero by her side that she and only she can control, then she's obviously going to make that choice, isn't she? That's a huge theory. I never thought about it that way. I hadn't thought of that theory, um, I have to say. Um, but I also wondered whether this was a ruse, um, again, that leads ultimately to the double cross that, that Jessica does on Kilgrave. So... Maybe it's both ways. Maybe she decides to use this to try and say, look, Kilgrave, here you go. This is my bargain to you. I will stay with you. Mm. But you have to promise to be good. Absolutely. He buys into that. Um, and ultimately then she does the whole kidnap of, of Kilgrave. You know, she injects him again and brings him Chinese, drugs Alva and um, Laurent. I mean... My God, these poor this poor couple are having a god awful day. Um, they probably wake up thinking, "What on earth gonna is going to on?" Um, so his plan, if that's the case, leading up to that point, has backfired on yeah. him because Jessica has gone on it and and reversed it on him. And I mean, again, it's a great great ending mm-hmm. because of that double cross that Jessica. Uh, does yeah because I wasn't expecting it I actually thought oh my god this is what's going to happen she is going to try and attempt to change him and that there's going to be you know Trisha there who's just going to be like what are you doing yeah. there's going to be Simpson there who's still trying to get at Kilgrave uh, you know we see him in kind of full SWAT outfit with with, with two other men Marines. Where, yeah Marines really armed up to the hilt again to take down uh, Kilgrave He's the one that planted the bomb uh, previously in the basement. Again, no idea of collateral damage here. And so this could have been the future for these two characters. And that's yeah. how I kind of thought it was going to play out. And that's where the tension was going to come from. And then it all gets spun on its head. And it was fantastic for that. Absolutely. And can I just call out Christian Ritter's performance in one specific moment of this episode? Absolutely loved the, the turn phrase that she gives when they get back after saving the family. And she says to Kilgrave, um, that's what you do. That's how you become a hero. Look how many pe- many lives you saved. And he goes, well, I was going to make that guy blow his head off. And I would have, because that's what I absolutely be- believed was the right thing. And Christian Ritter's performance when she turns around and goes, oh, God, yes, you did, didn't you? You did. That's exactly what you would have done, because you are the villain, essentially. In your head, you absolutely would be going around just offing people and killing everybody and not knowing what's wrong with that. I love her performance. I love how she carries that off because she's just in that moment where she realized she's put herself 
between a rock and a hard place. She's just shown this guy what he can do with his powers in a good way, but will now have to instruct him for the rest of her life. I love that moment because it does play into how the episode ends. Yeah. Where she's essentially going, well, can I give up my entire life? Can I decide to just be the babysitter for this guy that can has an amazing power and can be focused to become the hero? Or do I basically trap him and <laughs> kidnap him? And yes, yeah, she chooses to kidnap him. I actually would have liked to see another episode. Mm-hmm. So a 14th episode that, that or an extension of this episode where they do more. Yeah. Like, I would love to see what else they could, rather than just the kind of hostage. So they stop, a, they go into the grocery store and there's a, a robbery. Mm-hmm. You see that. Or they team up in some other way. I think that could have been an additional 30 minutes of fun. Yeah. Like you, you could have got fights. And see Kilgrave, like, Jessica beating up a group of 30 thugs and then Kilgrave turns around and goes you fight you you fight you you fight you that would have been brilliant absolutely I'd, lo- I'd love a new ch- a new theme tune with Purple Man and, and Jewel team up, <laughs> team up to save New York I think it would have been cool it but I love that that's the impression that they are putting in your head that they go you know what this team up would be great it would yeah. be cool to see what a person of that power working for good could be like um, and then they just take it away in two yeah. minutes it looks like they have a lot of other things to cover in this series um, if they took that possibility away that quickly. Because you're right, they, they could have lived together for even just a week and have her control what he does and learn that he actually does have bad intentions a lot of the time. But she doesn't even entertain it. She does it once, goes off and talks to Trish, comes back, knocks him out, sticks him over her shoulder and takes him off. And you know, flies away. Flies away, very yeah, much. Yeah. But as well, is it... Is that what Jessica did, or was it what Trisha decided, like, or what she would have done? Because she's there having the conversation with Trish, and you don't see the outcome of that. Mm. And then she comes back, because Jessica immediately is saying, you know, to live with him, and that she goes, but you would tell me not to do that. Not because you don't think it's the right thing to do, but because, you know, we're friends, yeah. we're, we're stepsisters. But we don't see the end of that conversation mm-hmm. whereby Trish, who is a smart girl, you know, smart lady, basically might have said, well, we use it against him. We use that. How can we take that absolutely untenable situation that I won't let you get into? And how can we use that knowing that you can look after yourself? Um, and how can we use that against Kilgrave? Yeah. Which to me seems the outcome of what happens. It's a, but it's, I didn't see it yeah. at the time and it's only with the whole double cross that you kind of go, well, you know, maybe this is Trisha's plans and it's what Jessica did, um, you know? Yeah, no, I'm actually pretty convinced we're going to see the rest of that conversation. I, I hope so. I, I'm okay. really like, they'll, they'll do, I'd love to say they open with it next episode. They open with like split screens going, no, Jessica, this is what we'll do. And then they show what happens as she flies off. And That's interesting. I, I took it as this is absolutely Jessica's concept because I think Trish would have told her, I wouldn't want you to do it because you're my friend, but you could definitely you could definitely survive it. If anybody I know could survive it, you could survive it. And I think the that moment of Jessica going, 
this is what Jessica Jones would do. It's her going, this is why I'm the superhero of the show. This is why I'm the, the central person in the show, because this is the kind of thing I do, which is kind of not really think about the consequences, knock the guy out and lock him up. Nobody would tell her to keep him alive, firstly. Uh, got Simpson basically shouting in her ear going, kill him, kill him. Um, Trish is essentially trying to protect her friend by saying, don't live with him. You shouldn't do that to yourself, but you could probably survive it. And I think Jessica's going, this is what I'd do. But when you look back at that scene, Trish really isn't saying anything. It's Jessica who's assuming what Trish is going to say if she comes to her with that idea. So does Trish say to her, well, why don't you? But reverse it so that he is taken off guard. Something like that. That's the thing. It would be great to see the rest of that conversation uh, because you're only being told what you think Trisha will say. And that comes from Jessica, not from Trisha. Well, this episode has really taken us off our normal point structure, hasn't it? There's so much going on and so much to talk about. It really brought up some huge stuff. And it's all interlinked as well. It it really is a giant ball of elastic bands. Absolutely. (laughs) But I think to kind of of bring us back onto our final points uh, system, Chris, do you want to give us your last point? Of course, of course. Um, As our listeners know, I love to pick out Easter eggs. Yes. I'm going to go with the obvious one first. Um, Of course, as Kilgrave and Jessica are going into the hostage negotiation, um, Kilgrave goes, go about your business Mm -hmm. in a very Jedi way. Uh And even Jessica calls out, that's very Obi-Wan Kenobi. Absolutely. And I thought that was brilliant. Obi-Wan but cooler. Yes. (laughs) It was actually Obi-Wan but cooler. Absolutely. Um, Very impressive, especially with Star Wars out around this time. It seems to have landed right in the right week, really, hasn't it? (laughs) No, no, brilliant. Um, The the second one for me, and I'm probably missing a few more, but uh, the big one that kind of came out for me was where Kilgrave is talking about his powers, Mm -hmm. and he goes, I've even told someone to go screw themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Now... Imagine um, that poor guy. Oh, God. And that's the funny part. I'm, I'm stretching here. So DC have Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, comics and of that you do have Preacher that's right uh, and that's uh, Reverend Jesse mm-hmm. um, who Jesse has Custer, to, yeah. yeah Jesse Custer his power is the word very similar to Kilgraves he can tell people kind of control what they do yeah. uh, and in one very hilarious scene I want to say <laughs> he tells someone to go screw themselves and uh, that is a running gag for I believe at least two three issues um, so that just straight away was like, yeah, the man who can control people's minds and tell them what to do. Oh, here's another one. Nice. I like that. I like that. And uh, there is the Preacher TV show coming next year on AMC, I think, in the US. Uh, so quite interestingly, I love how these things play out because it's quite possible they'll try and use that line, being that the comic was created before yeah. Jessica Jones has been around for years. Um, pretty close, actually, when Jessica Jones' comic was out, but I know there wasn't a Kilgrave line of this type in the comic book. No. So people who see both the Netflix Jessica Jones and uh, and Jesse Custer over on Preacher will think that Jesse Custer is robbing the line from Kilgrave. So quite an interesting catch there. Yeah. Very good. The only other Easter egg that I caught, obviously, was the one I mentioned earlier on, which was the big Doctor Who Don't Blink uh, one, which I really liked as well. Yeah, no, they're really good references, definitely. Uh, I love the Obi-Wan uh, Kenobi one, but cooler, yeah. because uh, that also then reminded me slightly of how Matt Smith would deliver a Doctor Who line as well. Bow ties are cool, you know? So I really kind of thought of uh, Matt Smith there. So, yeah, maybe we're reading way too much I Doctor know. Who into into this, but it, it's great fun, of, actually, to do. And I know at least one of our listeners absolutely hates uh, Doctor Who, so really sorry. <laughs> but there's going to be lots more Doctor Who talk before this series is out, definitely. Um, John, do you want to give us your final point? 
Yeah, it was the bloody bedroom scene oh, uh, where wow. Jessica is dreaming, hallucinating, whatever, uh, in conflict from Kilgrave's possible powers or something, uh, where she's taken back to her childhood and all of a sudden, you know, there's her brother there telling her to get up, you know, we're going off on, on our trip. Uh, the parents are there. And next thing, it's just the blood all coming from their eyes and from their forehead and, and so on. And they're increasingly just looking all bloody and it's your fault, Jessica. And then she wakes up and snaps mm-hmm. out of it. And it's just all these flashbacks that occur that kind of hint and ultimately show Jessica's origin uh, story here where she's um, involved in a car crash, which we then also see is to an extent because her father is distracted because of Jessica and her brother having an argument over a Nintendo Game Boy and it was just all of those things but the was was like really good to give her background at the same time as giving insights or at least Kilgrave's insights into his background and for me the one that stood out was just the bedroom scene because obviously a mother and a father and a brother all being covered in blood mm-hmm. saying kind of like it was your fault, Jessica. Um, you know, it's the guilt that she's living with um, from from the accident uh, that she was the only one to survive. So it's Absolutely. like a survivor's guilt. I know. Make it goddamn right is essentially the final word of that uh, of that vision. I suppose uh, one of the things I really liked about this is really that we haven't seen this before. We haven't seen Jessica have visions of her family before. It's kind of shown to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but it kind of shows to me that this is about the house. Um, Kilgrave has gone out of his way turning the house into exactly the way it was in 1995 when the accident happened 1994, 95 if I looked at the posters on the wall they're essentially the posters I had on my wall in 1995 with Nirvana and Green Day and all those bands that I would have liked around that time Um, it really felt like you perved on your neighbours as well (laughs) possibly possibly but he's he's made uh, every effort to get down to the meticulous detail of her house which is obviously the reason why she's having such such fervent visions, I suppose, of her family. She probably wouldn't have had those in her office where there's no connection to the family. There's no, not even a photograph of her parents or her brother in, in her office. What he's recreated in her home is it's almost like a time capsule of what she would have experienced. So no wonder she's woken up to these horrible visions of her family standing over her, pointing at her and saying, this is all your fault. Make it right, Jessica. Because he's created this really difficult to live in environment for her. Uh, but I think it's fantastic. Yeah, really love those scenes. I'm going to go against the curve. Okay. The crash into the back of a lorry, mm-hmm. very daredevil almost. Like, what, was the lorry carrying toxic waste? Like, how did she get doused in radioactive material? That's very true. We didn't actually see the end of the crash, did no. we? We saw no. we, the, the camera cut just before it hit the yeah. truck. So you are, it's possible that something has... Again, it, it, it felt like she was getting snapped out of her thoughts on it yeah. mm. rather than seeing the full thing. So maybe it was just a regular accident. But yeah. that doesn't explain then how she's... Because she said she was... the An accident caused her powers mm. when she's talking to Luke. Now that is something I think we may see more of in exactly. the future. Yeah. Is the rest of the accident. Yeah, no, and hopefully we do. because I do. But if they do the dousing chemicals, then I'm calling Daredevil. 
And I'm like, that's just, no, that's a trope. We have it too much in all of our comic books. Interesting. It's like, look at the mutant turtles, for God's sake. They were doused in chemicals and then became ninjas. Yes, but that was a reference to Daredevil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything is a reference to Daredevil. <laughs> uh, I really like it. I like, I like the fact that we might find out what caused these powers. We didn't in the comics, I think, uh, as far as I remember. Uh, we didn't actually find out what caused, uh, what caused the powers. So I'm interested to see... What actually gave her repairs, regardless of what it is. Let's see what it is in a couple of, a couple of episodes time. I possibly. do wonder if they'll do the coma bit though. Possibly. Yeah, because if she's in a coma, and then she the house gets sold off, and then she gets put into foster care with Trish. Could be interesting. Yeah. Could, 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 could be interesting. Absolutely, Derek. What's your final point? Uh, my final point is a little bit out of Jessica Jones. Uh, oh. I know. A little bit out of Jessica Jones. Since we're talking about the episode, I wanted to actually connect it to one of our previous podcasts. I'm one of the previous villains of the Marvel Universe. We'll be talking about our poll a little bit later on, but uh, I don't know why it only struck me. We're eight episodes into the show, and we covered eight episodes of Agent Carter. The big villain in Agent Carter was Dr. Ivchenko, if you remember our podcast about that, who also had mind-controlling powers. That was his main power. He he turned his wedding ring a couple of times and made a suggestion to other people for what he wanted them to do, and they did it. Um, it's really interesting to see that we have a character with such similar powers as Dr. Ivchenko, but all props to David Tennant. I think he's a much, much better character, a much more rounded character within the Jessica Jones TV show than Dr. Ivchenko, who was essentially just a villain. Um, he was a very specific villain, did control people's minds. Some of the things he did are very similar to Kilgrave, and that's kind of why I wanted to call out the connection this time. The One of the uh, members of the SSR that um, is killed by Dr. Ivchenko is told to go and have a drink and then walk under uh, the nearest truck, which is the kind of thing that Kilgrave would do. But it really didn't stand out as much as David Tennant's Kilgrave, uh, the people that he murders in these in these episodes. So I'm wondering... And this is kind of my la- my final point. I'm wondering, is there a connection between Ivchenko, who was left alive at the end of Agent Carter, and Kilgrave and his powers? Oh, I like that. Mm. Yeah, no, maybe. But remember, nice. it's okay. they yeah. are similar, but I don't feel they're the same. And what I mean by that is you get much more of the feeling from Ivchenko, from Agent Carter. And maybe it's just because in terms of that theme of mind control, they can't go to some of the places that they can in Netflix. Mm -hmm. But it, it seems much more that he needs significant time with that person to bend them to his will. That he is more the power of suggestion rather than absolute mind control it's almost like a hypnosis thing with Ivchenko Mm -hmm. whereas with David Tennant it's just purely snap immediately with the power of his speech where he can control them hence the Obi-Wan Kenobi reference where it's an instant Um, he immediately infiltrates into the the mind of the person he wants to control with Ivchenko he had to spend much more time with um Officer Dooley, for mm-hmm. example, uh, and even with the guy he sends under the bus to be able to bend their will. Oh, that's how I kind of took from it. Absolutely, and that's why I'm wondering, is there a connection? Because that would be 60 years of advancement by potentially <gasps> Hydra. Damn or, it. Yeah. That was literally what I was going to say. That's it's like, true. Phase one is a Jenko, phase Infinity is Kilgrave, or the, the final phase. Or, 3000. Or, or Project 335764 is... Uh, Kilgrave. Three, two, two, seven, five, six. I never get the numbers right. There's a lot of people yeah. that have been thrown into the mincer. Yeah. And there you go. That's my little theory coming out of Jessica Jones. That there is a connection between JJ and our favourite Peggy Carter. 
There you go. Um, all right, so I think that's our five main points about the episode. Chris, do you have any notes for this episode? Um, the only one for me is the fantastic scene where Kilgrave is texting Hogarth. Oh, yes. That oh, was brilliant. Yes. Yeah, that was really cool. Bitches be crazy. <laughs> Bitches, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. I was just like, that That was just fantastic. I was just like, dot, question mark, question, question mark? Yeah. I was like, okay, so this is, we're going to have some interesting point. I would like to see that expand, expanded a bit more. Mm-hmm. Kilgrave going up to Hogarth's ex and going, tell me your security secret. And then, then we literally have that. I'd be like, oh. That would be really good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, kind of leads me to my note, which was just about uh, Wendy and Hogarth. Um, just the fact that essentially this shows using Jessica Jones for bad intentions doesn't work out because the whole reason why Wendy now wants 75% of Hogarth's business is because Hogarth used Jessica to threaten her. And if she hadn't used Jessica to threaten her, she never would have gone for 75% of the business. She may have gone 50-50. She specifically says up until the point that Jessica met me in the subway station, um, I was willing, I was willing to believe there was a way back for you that you haven't, haven't turned evil as such until I saw that. At that point, that's it. It's over and I want everything. But why when she's writing a really threatening email, she uses font 42 in red? <laughs> it's like, come on. You could say the exact same thing in little small black letters. Just, no, no, no. I'm going to blow it up and take over half the size. So in case someone is filming Hogarth reading it, uh-huh. they can see it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Maybe okay. she was trying to tell the building opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Big flashing letters one by one. Definitely. I love that scene, though, where they sat across the table. I mean, it's unfortunate that Pam had to come in as well. I mean, like, Pam She's is such everywhere, a nightmare. <laughs> like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> like, you are actually probably the reason for this this whole uh, meeting at the moment. You don't come in and say, there's a text for you. Yeah. There's some things you can uh, just leave uh, behind for a bit. But um, you I know, do, again, really like the actress who plays Pam. I think she's done a do, great job. I do. But I love that she's on the periphery the whole time. They're in a glass office while they're talking about their divorce. <laughs> yeah. And Pam's hovering around the outside. Like, how how much can you rub it in the face of your former partner that, that your new partner is standing outside looking gorgeous in her, in her flowery dress? dress I was like, going to yeah. say. And I love, the, I love the contrast at the table. You know, Wendy is kind of distraught. She's got red eyes. Looks like she's been crying. Maybe she's the the villain with the red eyes. No, <laughs> and then Hogarth is kind of like pale, cool, um, just really collected. Oh. Like they're both like opposite sides of the coin. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The woman, the the. the, the Absolutely, the people that are doing the makeup on Wendy, my gosh, we see the, we see the photograph of Wendy in happier times with Hogarth, and she looks beautiful, absolutely beautiful, but she does look like she's been working 24 hours a day and crying her eyes out as well all the way through work for the last you know couple of weeks that she's been, that, that it's been since she broke up with Hogarth. She looks terrible when when she's in this meeting at the uh, at the at the divorce lawyers. Whoever's doing the makeup on her, again another behind the scenes shout out for the for them as well, doing a great job, big time. John, do you have any final notes about this episode? I have loads of notes on on this. Um, I shall quickly run through them. Um, firstly, Reva, we kind of hear uh, from Kilgrave where he says to Jessica, I didn't ask you to kill her, I asked you to take care of her. Mm. And you were the one that took that to mean kill her. Now, maybe it's just semantics and maybe he did, obviously. It's an interesting thing that I think that was drawn out there that we will maybe get to see expanded on um in future episodes as well. But that was an interesting take on what he said. But he says that a lot, I think, does Kilgrave. I mean, he does say, you can't blame me for your drinking problem while yeah. she's 
chugging uh, the wine at dinner time. And nice that was, Merlot with the wet. With exactly. The beef. Uh, awesome. That, that was one of my other points. Glass. Yeah, that was one of my <laughs> other points. It was um, definitely wine with dinner or a dinner of wine. Yeah. Um, what is it that you want, liquid or solid? Jessica plumping for the, the, the liquid. And speaking of that, we also have another whiskey watch here um, in Trisha's apartment. I have no idea what brand of whiskey that is. It certainly looked expensive. <laughs> a big bottle. Must have been um, a Glen something, right? Possibly. I have no <laughs> idea. Big bottle looks kind of hexagonal or octagonal in some way. Really big, expensive, and just knocked back by Jessica. No care in the world as to how expensive it might be. It might as well have been the cheapest brand of bourbon or something like that. Just clunk down. So we have a lot of drinking here from Jessica. Absolutely. And can I ask a really quick question? I know we're on the end of our notes here. Really quick question. I think part of Jessica Jones' power is that she doesn't get hugely drunk on the alcohol or doesn't get drunk as quickly as the rest of us would. Does she have that similar kind of thing as Captain America does, that he can never get drunk, he can never imbibe alcohol, um, which was mentioned in the... in. Uh, the first Avenger. Yeah, it's the the um, accelerated healing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you no, think there's something to do with that? Uh, one of her, I think she yeah. knocks back yeah. that wine at the Big table. Big time. Wow. Ask for another bottle. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I do I do think there is the accelerated healing in Paris. Now, it means they probably have to have brought us in for this to be that hard drinking and walking and talking. Now, don't get me wrong. She is a mess when she drinks a lot of alcohol. But when, so she, she's drinks, not as... but when she drinks a lot, enough yeah. to kill someone nor human, is <laughs> Jessica Jones like, I'm just a bit tipsy. Yeah. Then my fi- two final points are, I love the jibes, the Bob jibes between uh, Kilgrave uh, and Jessica Absolutely. in this. You know, um, I think Kilgrave goes, it's rough being your friend, isn't it? As you know, she kind of lays out this path of like, utter destruction around her as a result of Kilgrave, but he kind of completely steps back from it all and says, wow, it's rough being your friend, isn't it? And then, obviously, great line from Jessica Jones later on in the episode where um, she goes, the first step in heroism is don't be a prick, as she's trying to, or we think she's trying to convert him. Yeah. Uh, so I love the the barbed jibes um, back and forth and the sarcasm going on between these two. Uh, that was really good. And then, obviously... Is this what turns Will Simpson to nuke? We've talked mm. about this, but obviously the big explosive finale to this episode. <laughs> Poor old Liz, blown to smithereens. I think her arm or leg, whatever, was still twitching. Was lar- yeah. Her arm was on yeah. fire, wasn't it? Yeah. Nice bit of roast pork going on there. Um, but, you know... Simpson looked pretty out of it. He After that explosion, he, he was knocked clean off his feet. Is this what ultimately uh, moves him to a different area of his like life? Um, is he now this absolute vengeful monster? Is he mm. nuke? Who is he? What's going to happen? The is glass. he dead? Did you see the glass sticking yeah. out of his body yeah. as well on the ground? Yeah, he's looking pretty pained. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and on that awful joke, Chris. Fantastic <laughs> joke. My last note, finally. Um, is because I had mentioned was Simpson under Kilgrave's control? Was he maybe the owner of the security uh, operation that's looking after him? Because there were a few things that were a bit suspect about how he was mm. behaving. 
I can honestly say I don't think that's the case after this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite possible. A bomb underneath the house, uh, going around to shoot him in the head and bring the bring the pipe-hitting homes with him, I think, as yeah. they say in Pulp Fiction. He's definitely got an obsessive personality. Mm-hmm. And last, 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 but not least, Jessica can fly. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Didn't just jump in this episode. She flew away with him. Did she just fly? She, did she just fly? I like that yeah. they still yeah. pose the question. Uh, and did they take out Hank, the bodyguard? Oh, yeah. Was he shot or... They shot him and kicked him in the face to knock him out. So Because yeah. <laughs> that's so much better. Yeah. Okay, it's I'm like not saying Shot in the leg versus shot... For, yeah, okay, no, no. Yeah, so I don't think he's dead. Great. And on those many points, Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I do. I do, I do, I do. I defend this episode majority because the writer, writer and director made me empathize with a character who, in any other TV show, who, in any other book, in any other play, you would not. This shot for shot, line for line, was made to was directing you to think one particular way or at least to question motives, question nature versus nurture, question uh, background. Is your environment a cause for you? If you you do not have a particular thing in your environment, can you be blamed for the way you are? Mm. Uh, And that's just like, aside from all the other fantastic points and things that we saw in this episode... That's when you know you're watching something special. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that every episode of this show is that, but I think this episode did something that a lot of shows find hard to do, which is try and be morally upright without throwing it in your face and just making you question, okay, if you had Kilgrave's powers and you didn't have a family and you were experimented on and then were sent into the wild at 10 years old, which we believe to be the case at this point, would you think that everything Kilgrave does is bad? Mm. There you go. So yes, I defend. And John, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I certainly do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. Um, I would give this 4.5 explosive neighbours out of uh, 5. <laughs> I think um, very much like what Chris said, this was a fascinating episode. It was creepy in... The fact that you have this um, guy, Kilgrave, trying to replicate Jessica's childhood home. Mm -hmm. And then you have all this ambiguity. On the one hand, he's trying to allow her to make a decision, but is holding the threat if she doesn't over other people's head. And I loved the chef and the housekeeper, Laurent and Alva, as that foil, um, where you really see, and along with Elizabeth, the, the neighbour, um, you see his inherent evil still at play there, despite all these other questions flying around as to, oh, well, he, he was abused as a, a child as well, and he has grown up without uh, a moral compass, knowing right from wrong. You see this sort of etched on, on Jessica's face. You see how she leaves to go and, uh, and talk with uh, Trish after they've had this uh, an attempt to try and um, make him do something heroic or something good. Mm. That it's almost like she realises she is the only one that maybe can keep him on the straight and narrow. And whether 
in fact, she can even do that. She realizes the sacrifice she would have to make or the enormity of it. All of this is like great. And it's all baggaged up in these then even bigger ideas of consent of can someone, um, progress and move on from being a bad person and be, um, redeemed and rehabilitated. All of this stuff. Um, absolutely uh, amazing. And then on the side, you have potentially um, Simpson being reborn from that explosion as as someone maybe better or worse or the same. Who knows? Or, or dead. I mean, you know, what is he going to be after that explosion, um, after that damage? Uh, and then obviously we just see Hogarth um, being ever more desperate to essentially rid herself now of her ex in, in Wendy. She wants to put Wendy away. Um, if she didn't want to do that already, you know, she's asking uh, Jessica to really find something mm. uh, on her. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays on. So really good. Um, I absolutely love this episode from creepy to um, ambiguous, to thought-provoking, really good. And, of course, the origins and backstories being further developed as well. So, like, it had so much going on. So, Derek, do you defend this episode? How? Wow, what an episode. I stupidly made a comment after episode six saying, this is my favourite episode of Jessica Jones. I loved the flashbacks that happened in that episode. Why did I make that comment that early? There's so many. This this just delivers the hits. It's like episode seven was brilliant. Episode eight is brilliant. I love where they've left episode eight and what's going to happen in episode nine. Really looking forward to it. And I've loved this podcast discussion, this particular discussion about this episode. I know the editor's cut of this would probably be about 20 minutes long, but the director's or producer's cut of this podcast would probably be about two and a half hours. We could all sit here and talk about individual elements of this episode for hours. I loved it. I love how it was put together. I love how it was written, directed. I've talked already about the casting of some of the background characters, the makeup I've talked about for one of the characters and how she's been she's been uh, made up for the episode. I absolutely loved it. I couldn't defend this episode more. It's fantastic. And again, a call out, great writing by Scott Reynolds. Delighted to have a writer of his caliber on board writing a really good episode. 100% defend this one. Absolutely. And with that, let's move on to the feedback. Yeah, yeah. I think our first feedback is on our poll results so far. Uh, we opened it out, or Chris opened it out to everybody to uh, to tell us who their favourite Marvel villain has been. So we put it out on Facebook, on Twitter, on Google+, and got a couple of responses here. So just want to quickly uh, run through the ones that I put out as choices for uh, for villains in the Marvel Cinematic or TV universe. So we had Kilgrave from Jessica Jones, Wilson Fisk from Daredevil, Loki from Thor, and obviously the Avengers, Grant Ward from Agents to S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the Winter Soldier from Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Ultron from Age of Ultron, Ronan the Accuser from Guardians of the Galaxy, Yellowjacket from Ant-Man, Dr. Ivchenko from Agent Carter, and then obviously left it open to our listeners to come up, come back with any more they could think of. I think I covered them all off. Yeah. yeah. All right, so results from Facebook. Is Kilgrave is pretty much a far and away runner, I think, about with about four times the number of votes. We did get votes for Wilson Fisk, for Loki, for Grant Ward, and for the Winter Soldier himself. Nothing um, for Ultron. Nothing for, for Ultron. Ultron. No, no, nothing for Ultron. Yeah, um, unfortunately, they gave him the Fisher-Price download, I think, really, <laughs> um, for his scurriness. All right. Uh, but Rebecca Brodeur commented it saying, Krellgrave until possibly Dormammu, John? 
Absolutely, I'm totally with you there. And even Mordo, I love Baron Mordo's kind of, you know, he's the evil Doctor Strange. I, I love that kind of reflection on, on Stephen Strange's character. Um, Dormammu, yeah, big bad. I mean, seriously big bad. Uh, I loved one of the recent arcs where he is behind uh, the scenes controlling Hood um, there in, mm. in New York. Uh, it was in Siege, wasn't it? Yeah, I loved uh, that that backstory how Dormammu can come in and control other people in the mortal realm but obviously then you know the gloves come off in, in the uh, astral plane and the mystical uh, realm and he has to fight Stephen Strange or the Sorcerer Supreme yeah but that one doesn't count because on that's one. a future villain so it yeah. doesn't count in this poll no. if he is featured in a, in Doctor Strange we will definitely include him in a future poll but for this time unfortunately he's not included so Rebecca went for uh, Kilgrave. Ronaldo says, hard to go past Kilgrave, even though he's the newest villain. Grant Ward is a close second for him. Mm, I'm delighted I put Grant Ward in there. Grant Ward from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has become a fantastic villain well, since the first I, season. Yeah, and certainly after the last episode. Oh my goodness. Um, was it uh, episode 10 of this season, season mm-hmm. 3? Like, cool. Absolutely, um, but I even I thought say. the opening to episode 9, what happens at the start of that, no spoilers if you haven't caught up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but the opening of episode 9 is the moment that Grant Ward turned into one of the best villains on TV for me. Um, over on Twitter, Kilgrave came out first as well, 57% of the vote went to Kilgrave. We threw out just the TV villains over there, Kilgrave, Wilson Fisk, Grant Ward and Ivchenko. Uh, Wilson Fisk got about 30% of the vote. Um, Grant Ward a very low 9% and uh, Dr. Rivchenko got 4% so I think that might have been one vote of uh, of everybody um, Sylvie Carboneau says uh, I had to think twice about this one but in the end Kilgrave is the hardest one to defeat and just like everything Google does a very different picture over on Google we have uh, Wilson Fisk got 50% of the vote from uh, just over 300 votes at last count and um, Wilson Fisk 50% of, of people over on Google Plus think he is the best villain um, but most of the comments seem to be about Kilgrave Jordan H says Kilgrave whilst having probably the most out there powers is still the most relatable they somehow made us feel empathy for a character so evil as him which is pretty hard to do they did it with Wilson Fisk in the past but he's much better and Draco Argentum says all the personality of the 10th Doctor with batshit crazy skewed perspective like Barty Crouch Jr. from Harry Potter (laughs) good points good points thank you very much for that feedback and that poll will remain open you can obviously go and vote on that in uh, in Google Plus just find Defenders TV Podcast or over on Facebook just look for Defenders TV Podcast and come and join our group and you can vote in that uh, in that poll uh, in case one of your villains didn't stand out in there um all right, so we got some more feedback from Sylvie, a little bit bigger feedback than her little Twitter comment. So uh, I wanted to call this one out. Uh, thanks very much for your feedback. Uh, this was sent into feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com, just like you can. Uh, Sylvie says, hi, guys, I've just listened to your review of episode six. I really enjoyed it. I wanted to add a little something about the Easter egg that Chris mentioned. I al- almost jumped off my couch when I heard Jessica Jones give Angela Del Taro's name to Luke Cage. Chris is right. She is linked to Iron Fist because of the White Tiger's ambulance. But what you forgot to mention is she is linked directly to Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. Here's why. Angela's uncle was Hector Alea, the third white tiger who died in Matt Murdock's arms right outside the courthouse after being framed for murder and convicted despite Matt's efforts as a lawyer. Later we meet her as the special FBI agent assigned to the Daredevil case, being now in the possession of her uncle's amulets. One night she confronts Matt Murdock. 
She wants to understand why someone would choose to put on a costume and fight bad people. He then meets her on the rooftop as Daredevil and challenges her so she can feel and test the power of the ambulance. After that, when the rumour is out about Daredevil's identity, she realises the FBI director wants to bury Murdoch instead of bringing him to justice. But she wouldn't play ball with this idea, so she gets fired and eventually becomes the White Tiger. And this is where we stand in Jessica Jones. We eventually see her in the Murdoch papers where she comes back to help Matt along with Elektra and Black Widow. But Daredevil pushes her off her roof because he doesn't want her to get involved, thinking that she isn't skilled enough yet to fight against Bullseye. A little wink to Brian Michael Bendis' work. Uh, that reminds us that Jessica lives in the same world in Daredevil, and it also makes me wonder if Daredevil's secret identity will be jeopardized in season two. Keep it the good work, guys. Sylvie, thank you so much for that, Sylvie. Really good to have a little bit of extra expansion on your point, Chris. Yeah, yeah, and to be fair, that I didn't even know half of that. So I'm like, okay, I'm learning something new every day. Really good, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And one other point that, um, is when Sylvie brings up um, Bullseye, there was a moment actually in this episode of Jessica Jones when Hogarth goes to the mobile phone after she's just received the email. Uh-huh. And in the end, she's texting Jessica. I actually thought she was then going to go, right, this has gone too far. I need to hire a hitman. And she was going to go for Bullseye. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, that was just something with that. It just, that came to my mind when I was watching Jessica Jones. That. Hogarth had had enough now, and it was end of games. She has to protect herself, her assets, her her living, her livelihood. And I thought she was going to hit go for an assassin, basically, Very interesting. and that it would be a sniper and wow. it would be bullseye. We will see, uh, we will possibly see. in a future episode. Thanks, Sylvie, for that. Definitely, really good information. Our piece of feedback here is from Blue Girl. Uh, she sent the feedback to feedback at defenderstvpodcast dot com, just like you can. Her email is titled Episode 6, Steve McQueen. She says, listening to the latest podcast and just wanted to address this bit that you guys discussed. During the Oscar campaign for 12 Years a Slave, I heard, read, multiple people also state that Steve McQueen isn't African-American, so he didn't have a personal connection to slavery, etc. Just wanted to point out that McQueen's parents are from the Caribbean. Uh, so he is, in fact, a descendant of slave and has slave ancestry. Not to mention that even if he, his parents were from Africa, he would still likely be a descendant of enslaved or colonized people. Uh, people really never acknowledge the modern-day Africans on the continent, also grapple with the legacy of the trans- transatlantic slave trade, uh, but that's a whole other discussion. Uh, McQueen does bring a perspective to the subject that Tarantino simply doesn't have. To me, this shows in things like the Mandingo fights in Django Unchained. A horrible, horrible moment. That's Derek putting in here. Um, it is simply hysterically inaccurate. Uh, this in and of itself is not a problem. However, when doing press for the film, Tarantino spoke about it and some other elements in the movie uh, as if they were real and that he was shining a light on the horrors of slavery that no one else dared to do. That is the part that a lot of black people had a problem with, myself included, not the fact that he made a film dealing with slavery because he's white. I enjoyed Django as a piece of historical fiction or fantasy, like in Glorious Bastards. I've seen it and enjoyed it multiple times, but only as fantasy, so to compare it to McQueen's Making Hunger isn't a fair comparison. McQueen made a film about real events, and it's a great film, but I'm sure even he would have no problem admitting that an Irish filmmaker would bring a perspective to it that he simply didn't have. And I agree with you. It doesn't mean that people can't make films about a culture other than their own, but they should be respectful of the culture in doing so. Thanks very much for that feedback, Blue Girl. Absolutely. I mean, I I think it's all about diversity in an analysis of a topic. And um, 
it coming from an Afri- African American, it coming from a, a white wasp, it coming from a, a midtown middle class um, blue collar worker or, or whatever is really interesting. And I think those people can all interchange in looking at different um, topics because they bring a different perspective. Absolutely. And only by having all those varied perspectives, maybe we come to a fully objective assessment or, or look at, at that topic. Absolutely. It's as they always say, um, history is always written by the victor. Um, you know, statehood is always developed by those that have come out on top in the battle for um, for that country, for that parliament, for that state or, or, or what have you. And so to have those different perspectives is hugely important. I mean, I think of Downfall, um, which is a look at Hitler in his final days in the bunker, an amazing film coming from uh, a German uh, director, which we just simply hadn't seen before. Instead, um, you know, and it's a really interesting take on um, those final moments of of Hitler, for example. Absolutely. So it's it's absolutely something i think is like really important and i really thank you so much blue girl for that uh feedback it's really um interesting yeah i never knew that Stephen mcqueen's um parents were from the caribbean and as you say quite rightly um more than likely to be um slaves or colonized um as well and of course then whose ancestry has come from a background where they were slaves or um have been colonized and i i think you're right that certainly gives an important uh, slant. And in fact, um, people would argue for the case of Northern Ireland, um, given, uh, you know, the the different political perspectives there. Yeah, absolutely. And a very interesting point. I think, obviously, while we were discussing, we do record a relatively live podcast. So we gen- we generally don't uh, have, you know, three or four hours of research on some of the points that we talk about. So picking out people like Tarantino and Steve McQueen are kind of the ones that came to Kind of top of head, really top of mind as people that generally wouldn't be fully in depth with uh, with the subject matter they were covering at the time, and would would have been seen as people that have a very different perspective on it. Like really, really, as an Irish person, what we see is Neil Jordan doing films about Ireland and the troubles that we've had over our over our history. It was really interesting to see a person like Steve McQueen as a UK person taking on the on the uh, the story of Bobby Sands in. Uh, in hunger in the film that he made it was really interesting to get that different perspective as a a person from england and from london essentially taking on that uh that movie rather than it being another neil jordan film like in the name of the father which he'd done before so um that's kind of the point we were making but thanks so much for the feedback on this yeah and my two senses i think blue girl you're completely right um Nothing uh, states that someone cannot make a film about something else, another culture. Um, and as you say, I think it just comes down to making sure that they research the perspectives mm-hmm. of that person's or the other culture if you're not from that culture. And they should be respectful of that culture when doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where I was coming from in this is I love that certain directors aren't afraid to talk about hard truths. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's where, again, as you, Derek, you said, we... we we brought up straight away some just top of mind directors. Um, I think that's the case when a lot of people will think about this straight off. But you're right, there are directors out there who do fantasy fiction, um, or kind of who would be historical fantasy fiction. And you're right, Inglorious Bastards is a fantastic film, but there's no way in 
accurate. Well, I'll disagree. I think Inglourious Bastards is a terrible film. No. <laughs> That's just me. It's my only yes. only film I hate from Quentin Tarantino. Okay. But uh, but yeah, it's the day to me. It's here. a terrible film. I love um, the opening. I think the opening is an amazing mm-hmm. bit of tense cinema yep. with Christoph Waltz. Um, but yeah, and there's I, one other I'm, scene in the film that I do like. I'm kind well. of with with Derek here. Yeah. I didn't like Inglourious Bastards. That movie's terrible. Okay. But anyway, using a uh, different example, Band of Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Very historical. Mm-hmm. Probably not the most historically accurate in certain scenes. Fictional, historic, historical, somewhat accurate fiction. Right. We'll call yeah. it that. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best. It's it, this is a very uh, a minefield of uh, of a topic. Yeah. I just I want to be very careful. I don't want to uh, offend anyone. Absolutely. Uh, I think and I think the key thing is. And what we what we were trying to get across, and I think also what Blue Girl is saying, and very actually a lot more eloquently, <laughs> better than we, did. Lot, yeah, a lot more <laughs> eloquent than we did in the podcast, which is basically if you're going to do a topic, research it, mm-hmm. get the other person, the person whose culture or view it directly affects, mm-hmm. get their perspective, try it out, and be respectful. Yeah, and I think that's what we hope to do when we're talking about it. If it didn't come across like that. I want to apologise to you because I did bring up the topic, I think. Oh, no. It was John. Blame you. <laughs> no, but I, I yeah. think, isn't it yeah. amazing that we're here on a Marvel podcast, you know, yeah. talking about Jessica Jones, and that's one of the debates in relation to the sexuality of it. That You know, the, the showrunner is, is a lady, um, and the question of whether and how best play she is to talk about... Um, another woman suffering from um, abuse yep. uh, and, and potential rape or, of the body and of the mind. And that that conversation blossoms out into a multifaceted kind of discussion, which, um, you know, we're talking again today about redemption and, and consent and, and all this kind of thing. These are some really, like, big topics, societal topics. Um, so... It's great. Um, yeah. it, it's a really good discussion point. And yeah, I think, as Chris said, it's always that we hope to, to do it in a respectful manner. Yeah, I think very much the point was just about, you know, obviously how many great versions of William Shakespeare are, are there out there. And not everybody is from a small town in England um, who's done a version of William Shakespeare. They've all brought their own perspectives to it. So I love seeing movies and TV shows that may take the same topic, look at it from a different angle and present it to us. And sometimes if you are a person that has gone through that, you can put a very specific perspective on it. Uh, it would never have been something that crossed my mind. So I'm really delighted that we're getting to discuss stuff like this and really delighted that our listeners are getting in contact with us and sending this, this kind of feedback really enjoying it so make sure you send in your feedback to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com you can share it on our twitter page over at defenderscast or go to facebook join our group uh, just look for defenders tv podcast and share your thoughts with us there uh, for this episode of jessica jones i've been derek one of your hosts and i've been john one of the other hosts and thank you again so much for listening for all the feedback um, it's much appreciated and i'm chris your final host I feel like I just get to end it out. Yeah. Yay! I get to say the last word. (laughs) Signing off. Bye. We'll be back next Tuesday with episode nine of Jessica Jones. Thanks very much for listening and have a great Christmas. So from everyone from Defenders TV Podcast, we just want to wish you all a big, happy holidays. Have a great holiday season, uh, whether you're relaxing with family, um, going off for a 
hard-earned winter break uh, enjoy the time to yourself with your family uh, and uh, yeah, yeah have a great holiday season hopefully you're having some good time binging on some netflix shows including jessica jones and that's why you found the podcast and you're binging on us as well so don't forget there are 38 other episodes that you can listen to and we go all the way back from daredevil to some terrible Daredevil film. Just because you weren't on the podcast. Yeah, I just, <laughs> hey, I make it good. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Remember if you are flooded out, snowed in, or windswept, you can listen to our lovely, soothing tones as the emergency services come to rescue us. Just go to defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Have a great holiday season. Mm hmm. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.